from 99.9 The Fan. This is The Drive with Tim Donnelly. Sponsored by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. Just when it looked like the Lakers and LeBron James would be at least back in the playoff picture, Mm -hmm. James injured his right foot in Sunday's win over Dallas. James, 38 now, is expected to miss at least the next two weeks with a foot injury. Lakers are a game and a half out of the eighth spot in the Western Conference and a only a half a game out of the play-in spot. But, Joe, how do they get there without LBJ? They won't. That's that's the thing. Although, what I, what I find curious about the news regarding LeBron James is that people are questioning the legitimacy of the injury. Like, take Sham Sharanya, okay? He tweeted this out yesterday. He followed up his initial tweet saying, Sources, the fear Lakers, uh, there's fear Lakers star LeBron James is likely to miss an extended period of time with his right foot injury. He then retweets himself and says this, James miraculously played through that injury and is now expected to require multiple opinions and things like that. Interesting. There's 20 games left in the season. They picked up D'Angelo Russell. Anthony Davis is back and healthy for the time being. And they started to look like a team that could yeah. make some noise out in the West because the West is kind of wide open this year. And meanwhile, you got but but he just to get into the legitimacy question when he injured the foot against Dallas, he fell to the floor, grabbed his foot, and yeah. said, "I heard it pop." Right? I, yeah, that's what he said in real time. Mm-hmm. So that would be some some kind of elaborate ruse for him well, he to does be have, faking an injury. He does have some acting credits to his name. He does, but saying no, I'm I'm with you on slightly that. Slightly beyond, the but I find here. it interesting that Shams just kind of lays that out there, miraculously played through this. Take what you want out of Skip Bayless, but there was an incident today on Undisputed between him and Shannon Sharp, and Skip Bayless was questioning the legitimacy of it. And of course, Shannon Sharp got mad at him. But with LeBron James, people are always trying to find some sort of angle. It could just be as simple: he's 38 years old, he's played. Most of his career, like 90% of his career, injury-free. It's amazing. You could say that, hey, this is a case for load management that LeBron James is able to play at the level he's played at 38 years old, that Steph Curry is still able to play at the level that he's able to play at. Kevin Durant's career might be a little bit longer than normal because of load management. But to answer your question about the Lakers going forward, no LeBron at the rate he's been playing? Nah, they ain't making the playoffs. Not in that West. No way. Can the Lakers move to the East? I mean, LeBron can. Yeah, I guess LeBron <laughs> I don't know can. If the Lakers. Hey, can. hey, the Hornets need Hornets need him because Lamelo Ball is also out. Because now that will actually help the Hornets in the Victor Wembanyama. It will sweepstakes. It will. It won't be so obvious that they're tanking now. Next up, one of the four, all of the four, or half of the four. Maybe the Lakers can join the ACC and they can make the NCAA tournament. Maybe North Carolina can make the NCAA tournament. Uh, North Carolina was facing crunch time as it relates to the bubble, and they've stacked wins on top of wins on top of wins last night against Florida State in a bizarre victory that saw Armando Baycott get early foul trouble and then end the game with one point, literally one point. Pete Nance continues to be the story, though, for the Tar Heels and the reason why people are starting to get cautiously optimistic about this team being able to kind of realize what their potential was. Here's Hubert Davis on the team playing with confidence right now. 
said before, I'm so proud of these kids and just the response of them the entire season, you know, to lose a tough game at, you know, at NC State and then, you know, have to, I mean, this was a stretch where we played four games in eight days and three of them on the road. And for us, in the last three games to come out with wins versus quality opponents like Notre Dame and Virginia and Florida State and two of them on the road, I'm very proud of them and it should give them a lot of confidence. That's Hubert Davis, head coach, North Carolina. I, I get why people are cautiously optimistic about the Tar Heels. It doesn't really matter the level of competition that they've played. To me, the eye-opener is how they've gone about winning these games. They've been unconventional. You know, let's, let's look at their poor shooting performance at Notre Dame. These are two road wins, by the way, for the Tar Heels in the last three, which is important. So they go to Notre Dame. They shoot terribly, like historically bad. Rebounding ends up being the difference. They walk out of there with a win. They shoot lights out in the first half against Virginia at home. And they shoot lights out again in this game against Florida State. But there's one consistency. The Tar Heels don't know what to do with a lead. They get really wobbly down the stretch. And when you do that against Notre Dame, a team that can't rebound, you're going to walk out of there with a close win. When you do that against Florida State, who has a bunch of big dudes who can't rebound, apparently, and also weren't able to shoot last night. They did get it within single digits, but Tar Heels pulled that out, too. Somebody's going to make them pay. Better teams are going to make them pay. And I think that's where I'm at with the Tar Heels. Are they back to a preseason top 25 number one level? No. Do they look like a team that can make a Final Four run? No. It's all relative to what we're seeing in the ACC, and they're just like everybody else right now in the league. That's not what this season was supposed to be about. Interesting, though, an eight-game stretch from January 17th up until the Notre Dame game, February 22nd. Pete Nance made six total three-pointers. Six yeah. in eight games. Last two games, he has 77 of 10 from the three-point line the last two games. Yeah. Who does that sound like? Brady, man. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Something to keep an eye on. Maybe those. Maybe there is something in those lemon Oreos. Maybe there is. Maybe there's just something about Hubert Davis. Maybe he's sandbagging this entire time. <laughs> he's like, nah, nah, nah. Throw everybody off, and then and then get him. You get him when it's time to get him. It's em. terrifying. <laughs> yeah, let's take our screen froze. All right, next up. One, two, three. <laughs> Daniel Snyder, how much is it worth to put your own team's logo Ooh. on the tail of your private jet? What would you say that usually would run you, Joe? My own team's yeah, logo. Yeah, if you put your own team's logo, just for some advertising, right? Because you want to make sure the people well, in the would, private airport well, know why would who it, you are. Well, wait a minute. Why would it cost me anything? That would be like like charging Capital Broadcasting for putting a 99.9 The Fan bumper sticker on my car. That is the equivalent, yes. Except you don't own Capital Broadcasting. <laughs> right. Even still, like it's like, hey, 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 I, I put, this a, would sti- be, I put this a sticker would, on my car. This would be the Goodman family charging Pain. Capital Broadcasting okay. to put a bumper sticker okay, on one gotcha, of their cars. Gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, so the Goodmans slapping uh, 99.9 The Fan logo yeah. on one of their vehicles, you, they would you, charge themselves? They would. That would. That Do you think that would be equivalent to $4.5 million uh, in advertising? No, not even Darren Ravel can come <laughs> up with that number in terms of free advertising. Well, is, that that, how, is that how much he charged himself? That's what Danny Snyder came up with. He put he put the old Redskins helmet 
on the back of his private jet and on the line items yeah. that have come under uh, scrutiny yeah. by the NFL. One of them was $4.5 million oh, well, in advertising okay, then. on the private jet. I bet you you got that number from Darren Ravel. I saw the picture of the of the helmet sticker on the on the Learjet and it looks like a fat head. A fat head, yeah. It's, that's all it is. It's, that's a, a, it's a four million dollar fat head. <laughs> like, okay. So it's it's been a hell of a week for Commander's owner Daniel Snyder and it's only Tuesday. So yeah, the Don Van Nata story that you're referencing highlights all the ways in which Daniel Snyder is essentially using the team as his own personal bank account. And I'm guessing that other owners don't like this. Which is followed up by a Washington Post story related to how other owners in the league want Dan out. And Daniel Snyder is making the sale of his team difficult on a couple of different levels. The first one is he's asking for $7 billion. The Denver Broncos just went for six. Here's the problem with the rate at which NFL teams are going for it. There's only so many billionaires who are interested in buying a sports team. Which gets us to one guy who would, Jeff Bezos. No. But, but, Daniel Snyder is so upset at Jeff Bezos for the coverage he's getting in the Washington Post. You'll remember that Bezos, the former Amazon guy, owns the Washington Post. And while they do put in a disclaimer that, oh, by the way, the Washington Post is owned by Bezos, who is interested in buying the Washington football team, Daniel Snyder is so mad about the coverage, he refuses to do so, according to certain reports. And there's also the the other seems like a smart way to do it. Wrinkle, oh yeah. There's another wrinkle in this, in that when Dan Snyder sells the team, he wants to make sure that there is no way that the league can, as as I, I think the language was, indemnify Dan Snyder. Essentially, I sell the team and you can't come after me. I sell the team and you cannot badmouth me. He loves an NDA. Ba- basically, man. being impeached, right, and then getting a pardon. Yep. Nixon and Ford. Pretty much, that's the case. So it's a bad, like every single week, there's some new bad headline for the Washington football team and Dan Snyder. And I am shocked. No, legit, legit shot. I'm not saying this to be obnoxious. That other NFL owners continue to put up with this and that Roger Goodell has covered for this. That's the shocking part to me. And maybe the reason why they step up for Dan Snyder is because they also don't want people sniffing around their business. So if you got to protect one guy, that means you got to protect all the guys. And that could be what's playing out right now with the NFL and Dan Snyder. I got to look into putting a sticker on my car, see how much they'd pay me. Next up. And I don't even care who, who number two is. The Carolina Hurricanes made a deal today. They got another. Well, this he's not an actual Finn. He's a Swedish-born Finnish hockey player that was a former teammate of Sebastian Ajo. His name is Jesse Puljarvi. 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 It's a pool party. Un- unrelated. You know that the other Sebastian Ajo is Swedish. Yes. Okay. I know. Okay. I know. It's it. It's all jumbled into one big old thing. Anyway. One Nordic. So Puljarvi. Puljarvi is now with the Carolina Hurricanes. The Canes. I'm not. I don't even remember the the prospect's name. They sent to Edmonton. It's not a name that you're going to have to remember anyway, so it's immaterial to this. The question is, what exactly are they getting in Pugliarvi? It wasn't one of the big names on the block that everybody obsessed over. It wasn't Timo Meyer. It wasn't Patrick Kane. It's a guy that's going to take three million out of the ten million in cap space they had. So we why had, did, yeah. Why does it work that way? We might need a cap specialist in terms of what. 
Like, why do they owe his whole year's salary? Like, why does that hold the cap space? There's only, what, 30 games left? Yeah. And you I should know only, that should be prorated. And it's all prorated and everything else. But yeah, you're right. We do need to talk to a capologist about that. Regardless, here's Greg Wyshynski, ESPN. We talked to him earlier today, and I asked him, what are the Canes getting in Pugliarvi? Who is Jesse Pugliarvi? Well, he's a disappointment. <laughs> but but and, this, tra- uh, this tracks with Dundon trying to find market inefficiencies and then making it work for him, you know? Sure. And and, and, and listen, I mean, the bottom line for an Oiler, for the Oilers fans today is that this is what they dreaded. They dreaded there being a team that's smart, that has a great, shrewd yeah, front office, acquiring <laughs> Pugliarvi, and then eventually him blossoming into the player that he was supposed to be having been drafted so high. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure more than a few of them shuddered when they saw a team that has made moves in the past where, oh, by the way, Teravina became what he became. And, oh, by the way, Nito Niederreiter became what he became. And, I mean, they've they've done this before, both in big moves and small moves, of targeting players they think can really excel, and then they do excel within that system. The problem with Poliarvi, in my opinion, is one of development. I think the, the Oilers really screwed him up. Mm-hmm. I think they, they messed up his confidence. I think they messed up his execution. Um, he's a player that when you see his underlying numbers, he drives play in a way that makes total sense insofar as the Hurricanes wanting to acquire him. He just he's, His finishing is terrible. Like mm-hmm. he, He's just a guy that can't score goals. His career shooting percentage is under 9%. I mean... If they can fix that, they'll have themselves a player. And obviously, like you said, for the Other than that, unsigned this is prospect in Finland, that's you got to you got to make that move every time. <laughs> that's Craig Wyshynski, ESPN, on on the move. And look, it it tracks with how the Carolina Hurricanes talk. It tracks with how the Carolina Hurricanes operate. Let's see if we can take somebody, put them in a better situation, maximize it. Yeah, there's, there's big Jesperi Kokanyemi energy here. There is. You know, Kokanyemi, the number three pick in his respective draft with Andrei Svechnikov. Mm-hmm. This was the 2016 draft. Pugliarvi was the fourth overall pick. So talented player, obviously. Huge body. 6'4". Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's something, obviously, the Canes don't have in their lineup. You don't just drop him in there and, and expect him to be a top-line guy, obviously. But last year, they picked up Max Domi. He ended up scoring the game-winning goal in Game 7 of the he opening round of the playoffs. So... You know, could it be a, could it be a move like that? Sure. Is it the splash that the Canes fans had hoped for or wanted? No, it's not going to be that. The real splash is going to come in the form of Sebastian Ajo, Andrei Sveshnikov, Marty Natchez, who's been on a tear, has had a great turnaround season, continuing to produce yeah. in the postseason. It's not Pugliarvi, who gives them depth. It's as simple as that. And that's the one thing the Canes have been banking on is that they have depth. We'll see if it actually pays off this year. Next up. Cameron Indoor Stadium tonight, Duke versus NC State. These teams are wholly different than what we saw at PNC Arena back in January. We'll discuss next. I am coming around on the Blue Devils. Much like North Carolina, though, it's all relative. You know, Do I think that the Blue Devils are a Final Four team? Not necessarily. But are they a team that can win in Greensboro? Can they win the ACC tournament? Yes, just like you feel the Tar Heels can win at the ACC tournament. John Shire spoke on how this squad has evolved. Guys are healthy. Tariq Whitehead is starting to make shots. Who knows? Maybe Derek Lively will have a game tonight. Who knows? Or maybe he's saving it for Saturday against, against the Tar Heels. Regardless, this team cycles through guys, and they've been developing. Basically, every aspect of how we were playing was different. And, uh, you know, that's not 
to say that we're taking anything away from how they how they played and how they beat us. They had a great game and they're a really good team. Uh, but for us, we've grown a lot since then. I think you could see that watching the film. And uh, so have they. They're a lot better than they were that time as well. They've, they've developed as a team. They that was right off, you know, they, they were coming off some tough losses at that time and uh, figuring out their team identity. So I think for them, that was a breakthrough game where they understood, you know, what their strengths were and how they needed to play. That's John Shire, Duke head basketball coach, on the differences between that first meeting where they got run out of PNC Arena versus where they're at now. Keats basically backed that up. He understands they're different. He understands that his own team is different. I tell people when you play teams a second time around, I know everybody's like, oh, man, what can you take from the first game? I just don't know what you can take. I thought we played really, really well, and I didn't think they had one of their better games. Um but, you know, we just – we've got to come out and be NC State, and I'm sure Duke's got to be Duke and, you know, obviously try to play with a lot of confidence. And I will tell you that when you watch them on tape, they're a completely different team. You can actually – you know, I haven't even spent a lot of time on the, the last game that we played because um, they're they're different in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, they're scoring the ball. They're defending well. Uh, we have to continue to take care of the basketball. we got to continue to play the game inside out. Um, we got to try to get in transition if we can and, you know, play a lot better. And they've done such an incredible job, um, you know, just you know, I think they may be one of a few, a few teams in our league that's undefeated at home. And so that says a lot about their program right now. That's Kevin Keats, NC State's head basketball coach. For me, Julio, it comes down to defense. I, I think I think NC State's capable of getting back to scoring in bunches. Just It just wasn't there for Clemson. We saw it against Wake Forest that we've seen in other games. It's defense. That has to be more consistent. That defense wasn't there against Clemson throughout. It was there against Wake Forest and what easily could have been a shootout, and that was the difference in that game. And and see, the curiosity about this matchup is that Duke has been playing consistent defense. They'll throw some dudes at you. They don't mind getting physical, and that would be that would be the concern for the Wolfpack tonight. How do they handle DJ Burns and some of the physicality that can come his way? whether it's through Derek Lively or Ryan Young, who's been very, very useful. Yeah, you'll remember the meeting in Raleigh. D.J. Burns comes off the bench, really sparked NC State's offense. Duke didn't have the answer for him. Yep. Um, Lively did play in that game. He had 13, only played in 13 minutes. I was surprised he didn't play more, so maybe he wasn't feeling 100%. Ryan Young was not effective against D.J. Burns. So we'll see what ends up happening between those two. Jarkel Joyner needs to get back on the horse. Turquavion Smith needs to get back on the horse. That's the one for you me. Turquavion um, needs to get back into between the scoring the, touch. The, between the two guards and Casey Marcel, those three guards, you know, they they, they have a little bit of the, the Tar Heel vibe from last year. If two of them are going, you're probably going to lose to them. Uh, if only one is going, you're not. You're going to beat them. But if all three are going, you ain't going to beat them. So the question is, can State shoot the ball over there tonight over at Cameron Indoor Stadium? They haven't lost consecutive games all year. Uh, so after the performance against Clemson, you know how I feel. If, if, if I'm going to lose, I'd rather lose by 30. Yeah, just get I'd rather smoked. not have my uh, my solar plexus shot. <laughs> so I, I think State will show up tonight, but it, it's a tough spot because I do think Burns will find the sledding more difficult over there. It's going to be warm in Cameron. His stamina is going to be an mm -hmm. issue in that building. I'll tell you that right now, uh, as most people know. Uh, and then, you know, the shooting has to, it comes down to the shooting for state and, you know, a big part of Duke's success this year at home has been their defensive intensity 
and we'll, we'll see how the whistle goes. I suspect it'll be a game where they let the guys play. Got a tweet from one of our listeners when we were talking about the Carolina Hurricanes and their move today, bringing on Edmonton's Jesse Pugliarvi. Too many Yarvies now. We got Jarvie and Yarvie. It's like Spider-Man pointing meme. Although one has a little umlaut over it. Regardless. Point being, point being, today's move was fine. It adds some depth and it tracks with what the Carolina Hurricanes like to do. Take somebody who's not panning out somewhere and see if they can take advantage of the market inefficiency. Put them in their culture because, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes are very big on Rod Brittemore's culture. Surround them with some fins. Put them in the sauna. And maybe they can get they can get the production that wasn't there in Edmonton. And Bennett just tweeted out, "Y'all know the trade deadline isn't over yet, right?" Well, yeah, the trade deadline's on Friday, but the Canes have either not wanted to participate in the big name frenzy that led up to today's deal, and the biggest piece left, and that was Patrick Kane going to the New York Rangers, either. What the asking price was was too much for them, and they didn't want to part ways with all that, which is fine. I get it. Or that's just not how they operate. And they're banking on their system and the depth that they have and the players that they have and how they've been good. I mean, they're the second-best team in the Eastern Conference right now. That's what they're banking on. That's their system. But the reason why there's kind of a – I don't want to call it a freak-out. It's more of a frustration – in that these windows don't stay open as long as you think they do. And if you feel like this group has the ability to do it, and you know what's been holding them back in the past, whether it's hot goaltender or they just have more dudes than you stepping up, well, then it would behoove the Carolina Hurricanes to get better in that regard, especially when the guy you brought on to be that is hurt and you've got $10 million in cap space. I respect being true to their process. I do. I do, too. I, I do... Was there a move out there that they could make that would fix their goaltending situation within the season? I don't think so. Mm. So I, I we'll see what what happens with Pyotr Kochekov. We'll see if Freddie Anderson can stay healthy. In the in the long run, I think Kochekov could be the answer. Um, but we'll we'll see. We didn't get to see Freddie in the playoffs last year. I think that's part of it. I think part of you know the Canes' issues too are their better their best players need to be better in the playoffs. Mm. I thought Sebastian Ajo was had his best playoffs yet last year. And they now need to bring Table Teravine. He needs to bring Table Teravine with him. He needs to bring Andre Svechnikov with him. Yeah, because it's been a mixed bag for Svech in the oh. playoffs. And then Marty Natchez was a guy last year who was struggling. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about deadline acquisitions. It, it almost feels like an acquisition that Marty well, Natchez is playing the way that he is this year. I mean, I don't think you could have predicted that he is arguably their best player this year. He has been their best player this year, and that's the other unknown. Will this keep up in the playoffs right. when things get heated? And the, another reason why the attitude that I have about the Carolina Hurricanes being done, essentially, they're not making any real big moves, maybe adding some depth. Maybe they can add a third-pairing defenseman. I know there's, what, the guy out in Arizona that everybody's obsessed with at the moment because he's one of the last big pieces available. Rod Brindamore today talked about how we're not giving up anybody off our roster and that in order in order to bring in one of those big names that's probably what was gonna be needed and the Kansas didn't want to do that and, that and I respect that they they believe in these guys that's fine and that might be too much for them like do you really want to give up on Seth Jarvis right now no you don't 
because that's probably their best asset. Like, speaking of guys who played well in the playoffs last year, Seth Jarvis. Seth Jarvis was really good as a rookie. So I don't blame the Canes for not wanting to move on from Seth Jarvis. So there's a there's a balance to this. So if my general attitude seems like, yeah, man, they're done. This is basically it for them. I don't really see any huge surprises for the Carolina Hurricanes. Well, the reason why I say that is because they said so. They're not moving on from anybody on their current roster right now. Straight up. And that's the bet. Because to your point, we talked to Greg Wyshynski about this from ESPN. What is the correlation of big trade de- trade deadline acquisitions going into the Stanley Cup? I get your point. But the Eastern Conference is really, really tough. And, there's and also, it only got tougher. I was going to say, there hasn't been many years where every other team made a move and you didn't. Now, why did those other teams have to make a move? They're they're not as deep or as strong as you are. I think the numbers prove that over the regular yeah. season. The question again for the Canes is can they get their best players to perform at a level that we've seen from Boston's top end? Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that from the Canes' top end. The other thing, too, about the Carolina Hurricanes in the playoffs, a lot of the teams that have been making these big moves, they won't see them in the, they won't see them until the second round. Them. Not all of them, number yeah. one. Number two, you'll probably see one of them in the second round. But that's been kind of the problem for the Carolina Hurricanes. Can you get past the second round consistently enough? And I think you just referenced it, and that's the real big unknown. Goaltending is going to be the biggest X factor. You know when I, as we get close to playoff time, I get in my goaltender bag here. And is Freddie Anderson healthy good enough to power you through? We don't know yet. No, we haven't seen it. Because we saw how it all went to hell last year. And it eventually ended up with Peter Kochekov, and even he got hurt. So that's where we are right now with the Carolina Hurricanes. So far, and who am I to who am I to say anything, right? So far, the Carolina Hurricanes have made a consistent effort to change up their roster, and they've gotten better in the regular season. And we said this last year when they bounced. You can make all the moves you want to be good in the regular season again. The real next step is getting deep in the playoffs, understanding full damn well that the NHL playoffs are a random chaos generator, even more so than the NCAA tournament. We got what? Two more months left in the regular season? Everybody just stay healthy, man. That's all that matters.